365 Days of Sport. Yes, that's right. It's time for another edition of 365 Days of Sport, that radio show that talks about sports sometimes that you cannot afford to miss. It's a variety show, isn't it? It is a variety show. We want want to involve all types of people, and uh, it's a wide audience because that makes more money in the long run, I think. Well, let's hope so. And who are you again, seeing as I didn't introduce you last week? You know, you just keep skipping me out. I'm not important. My name's Rob Bryce, sports musician extraordinaire. Is that a new title, sports musician? I'm starting to think I'm the key component of talent in the show, actually. Would you agree with that? Oh, that's not surprising at all. Surprising at all. I mean, it's my own criticism, of course, but um, I like to critique myself, as do you, actually. You seem to like every single thing that we do really mm. yeah, well, very it's, positive it's so good yeah well that's that's a great way to I'm be trying not to get down on myself moving forward i mean we're going we're going into uh, radio in five months time i hope we're good Appar- apparently we're pretty good if we practice this for five months we should yeah. be bloody good really it's just uh, the, if we run out of material that's mm. our problem that, that is a problem. How's uh, what's happening in the life of Beefy this week? Any major news? Oh, anything? I played bubble soccer on the Saturday. What the hell's that? That's when you dress up in a big inflatable ball and smash people around. Oh, were you inside the ball? Yeah. Okay. It's a sweat fest. Yeah, I can imagine. Oh my! Well, it doesn't word. take much for you. I mean, no, no, no. Yeah, you'll I'll start sweating in about three minutes. Have to wear the ball. <laughs> um, oh my god, it's it's hot in there. Yeah. Well, I recently had one of those big global sumo contests oh, at, a, at, a, at a friend of mine's birthday party. That was it was pretty feral. I. I did uh, three bouts and then I just said, no, I'm done. See ya. Yeah, were you, were back you to the bears. King of the dress-up sumos? Uh, I won, but it wasn't convincing. I think, actually, no, it was five bouts. I won three to two. My friend does have a, a not entirely functioning arm, though, so I was sort of taking advantage of that a little bit. But uh, then we both got drunk. My arm didn't work later anyway. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, how do you this? Talking of sports news, this is a week where a third division soccer match in Spain okay. descended into chaos mm-hmm. when Casarano were forced to wear white T-shirts with drawn-on numbers. Jerez were the home team, whose kit is green and black stripes. Casarano's uh, away kit is black. So the referee deemed they couldn't wear that, but they brought their home strip with them as well, which is green. So somebody went out and bought 15 white T-shirts yep. and a marker pen. <laughs> Well, third division speaks for itself. Well, this is fully professional, though. They're getting paid good money? They're getting, well, money. How do the how do the numbers look on the marking? Um, it was a, if you've seen the photos, yeah, it's awful. It's like you've given it to a kindergarten. Not a professional uh, font. <laughs> no, no font. <laughs> and they had to write their names on the shirt as well, mm-hmm. so a number and their names as well. That's not, I think they've done pretty good. A bit of improvisation. It's needed at all levels. Oh, they had to know. get it done, otherwise they would have uh, forfeited the game. But um, they went on to win three one anyway. Well, that's all that counts. And uh, uh, and in style. Now you can just go out to any Kmart or Big W and buy Casarano's third change strip. <laughs> yes, but just draw it on yourself. <laughs> For about 50 cents. Indeed. So they're, they're top of the league, apparently, Casarano. They're my new favourite team. I've got a load of white t I've got a load of their replica kits already. I've only, I don't have a plain white t shirt. I've, I've got a big I Love Thailand one oh, with the heart. Pretty classy number. He loves uh, Beijing and he's got I Heart BJ on his shirt. That doesn't, well, that, work, could, does that, that doesn't work. Well, it does. It depends. Well, it does if, if, you're at, if you're at Mardi Gras weekend, you're fine. He's had some funny looks when I've been out in the town with him. Mm. I don't know if you've seen this. It's gone viral. Okay. You know, we went to Olympia to watch um, the horses. Olympia, which horse? Oh, yeah, the uh, Christmas they had, time thing. They had yeah. the dogs. They had the dogs. Well, Crufts was on this week, and um, a rogue... Crushed? Crufts. Crufts. Okay. It's, that's the big dog thing in Britain, the highlight of the dog calendar, so to speak. Right. So it's I should have known. Kind of live on TV in Britain, because mm-hmm. there's nothing else to watch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a rogue Jack Russell 
has stolen the show, flying around the obedience circuit, the obstacles. <laughs> the dog was called Ollie. Skipped around some obstacles, skipped over some others, uh, went backwards over certain obstacles well, as this, well. This sounds impressive. Well, no. He actually jumped backwards? Well, no, no. Oh, he went front ways the wrong way. Yeah. Just oh, that's different. Order. Thought it could be like the backwards man, just <laughs> yeah. doing everything backwards. That'd be impressive for a dog. Oh, yeah. Very um, impressive. It even ran off to greet the crowd on more than one occasion, but the crowning achievement came when Ollie underestimated the height of one hurdle, resulting in a monster crash that ends up with the dog absolutely face-planting through the obstacle and along the arena floor. All right, did they do the slow-mo of the oh, dog? It's hilarious. Remember when, See, we, when we went yeah. to racing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of thing where they mm. all just, when they get it wrong... Full bail. Yeah. I think, see, that's the moment because there, there is no doubt that those dogs are having a hell of a good time when they're oh. doing that. And that's the moment where you get the animal activists yeah. just going, oh. no, no, no more jumping no hurdles fun. for dogs. No fun for dogs. Yeah, dogs yeah. aren't supposed to do this stuff. I mean, uh, they were smiling, they were happy. So, yeah, they they absolutely stolen the show, uh, Ollie, the Jack Russell. I'm glad we're covering the important things in the oh, news. Yeah, yeah. Viral videos. Now, friend of the show. Yes. Ronnie O'Sullivan. Oh, yes. Big Ronnie. Five-time world snooker champion. Yeah, yep. Ronnie has decided now, after being uh, grilled in one interview right. not that long ago, he has now decided he is just going to coast his way through. Cut interviews. it short. Yeah, not give anything just away. Just pure efficiency. You could call it pure right. efficiency. Yeah. So this was in a tournament in Wales, of all places, oh. when he, he's just lost to Judd Trump. Okay. But this is the interview. How frustrating was it after you came back so well with that century break um, to lose out to Judd? Very. What did you make of your own performance? Decent. Um, Judd, in fairness, seemed to pot a lot of balls from, from distance. What did you make of his performance? Usual. I mean, he's, he's a pretty talented player, isn't he? Very. He's, he's been in, informed this season. Totally. So, how do you reflect on, on the match as a whole? Um, don't know, really. Um, I mean, you seem to take a while to get to get going. Maybe. Maybe there's going to be one that saves me. And after all, you're my wonder world. i my lyrics, is it good? <laughs> so, how do you look back at, at the tournament and, your, and what you've done here? Try not to. <laughs> so onto the China Open. Um, what are your thoughts looking ahead to that and looking a bit further ahead, of course, to the World Championship? Looking forward to it. Sounds like it. <laughs> well, so, very, very good. That's brilliant for Ronnie. And, uh... Well, there, there's a couple of things I want to say about that. Okay. I, I mean, he asked the exact same questions you ask every single sportsman in the world yep. ever. How's yep. preparation going? How did that go? What's going on next? So you would, he's got every right to yeah. just want to get out of there. So, so I understand that point of view. However, he, he, yeah, he was a, he's a little harsh, perhaps on the a little uh, bit. But who actually started? He started singing Oasis. Yeah, there. he did. Yeah. Okay. When he when he answered one that question, maybe he decided to add a bit on. Well, that's the point where, I was, if I was the interviewer, I would ask him stuff like like What's for lunch? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh, how's yeah. How's your mum and dad? The interviewer should have known from there. Yeah. Just do not ask snooker questions. Yeah, just yeah, do yeah, something yeah. else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But apparently it was a follow-up interview that Ronnie did with ITV. Uh, his first answer was, I just think my waistcoat is feeling a little bit tight. I just think I've been eating too much food and have put a bit of weight on around the midriff. I'm going to have to go and speak to the nutritionist and try and get him to sort to start sorting my diet out. Because this waistcoat was feeling a little bit tight and under pressure. kind of gets a little bit discomfort. I'm going to have to go down the tailors and see if I can get this waistcoat sorted out and then hopefully I can get a bit more room for the next tournament. <laughs> 
maybe I'm not getting enough vegetables in my I, diet. I recall him talking a lot about his fitness and his running and stuff like that's that. So I find, well, you know, he's, 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 he's had enough. He's just, yeah. I'm going to say anything. So that's it. That's uh, Beefy's Week in Sport. And uh, yeah, Ronnie, it's a great lad. And you had really a great chat with Ronnie. He was, he was much more open with us, I think. Oh, he was. Yeah. yeah. I imagine if me and you were doing the interview, oh, we'd have yeah. been all over yeah, it. Just so happy. I love the way as well the guy said, oh, this chi- it's the China Open next. And I was just thinking, <laughs> He's not getting on the plane. He is That's not getting on that plane. Far, far too far from the go. Right, uh, well, very good. Well, uh, speaking of people who like to do a bit of uh, exercise, we've got um, two uh, young lads here, two very special guests, one of which uh, I'm sort of a little too close with nowadays. He makes up part of the rhythm section with myself and the Mike Noga band. He's also part owner of uh, Melville's Food Hall, the greatest coffee in Melbourne and Brunswick. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jordan Garuccio. Thank you very much for the plug. Hey, no yeah. problem at all. And here we are on Toto right here, our former lead guitarist from the Fearless Vampire Killers, a man who helped me up with a few free tunes along our oh, trip. Nice. Mr. Al Marks, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, Al, well, nice. Nice. Now, lads, we're here in, uh, to talk about uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Now, Al, you've been at it for about two, three years. Have you been yeah, at it? For nearly three years now. Yeah. Well, see, I was quite surprised. We, we, I got in touch with you when we were away on our trip. And uh, I obviously I needed some tunes, and I was asking what you're up to, and you meant you asked me if we've been to see Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu yet, and I said, well, we've actually just been to a tournament in San Jose, and you just went on this passionate rant, took up a fair chunk of my messenger box um, about <laughs> how much you loved it, and I was quite surprised because last time I saw you before that, I'd stayed the night at your place when my brother and sister-in-law had, had a bit of a dispute, and they needed me out of the house for the night, so I stayed at your place. And uh, when I turned up to your house, there was a lot of bongs floating around, and uh, there was uh, the dishes hadn't been done for quite some time, and I was sort of like, Christ, and he's gotten into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu now. It's just quite a turnaround. Yeah, well, you know, it's a sport that takes all kinds. Yeah, uh, you know, there's quite a few prominent uh, stoner BJJ people, shall we say? Is there? Most most of the game happens on the ground, so yeah, right, we, we can kind of kind of get away with it. It's the, is it the spiritual side of it that really grabs the sort of more arty types. Both musicians, you think they feel like they're at one with the forces? Uh, it, it might be that, like, it's <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> uh, it's um, look, you can technically compete by lying there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we saw that, didn't we? Did we yeah. Actually, yeah. The guy that won the tournament in San Jose, mm-hmm. he literally... Sat on the floor the whole time. Can I say literally in that instance? That, that actually does. Because it actually had This guy just sat on the floor and yeah. let people attack him mm-hmm. and try and fend them off that way. So mm-hmm. um, we, we do know that from experience, that you can win a tournament by absolutely sitting on your ass. Is that a particular so, type of technique? Uh, you can just you, you can just wait to pull guard. It's, it's a little uh, controversial at the moment because mm-hmm. uh, you know because it did technically evolve from uh, Japanese jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. and judo, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you know throwing and stand up is a big part of it. But you can win by sitting on your ass and waiting for people to come. So that, that's also goes into the history of the sport because the guy who learned, who adapted the sport from mm-hmm. the Japanese jiu-jitsu, mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. was actually quite a weak opponent compared to his other opponents. Right, and All so right. he figured out that the best way to to sort of beat them was to lie on his back and just kind of attack them from there. Okay. That kind of became the best form of attack is defense, so they say. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. What's been your best strategy thus far? Because you're, you're only a few months in, aren't you, Jordan? I'm two to three months in. Right, so very much I'm a beginner. My third month, and okay. my plan of attack is I have no plan of attack. I oh. just have to stop myself from getting smashed. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not that just the random so I do a, throw moves from anyone. No, no, no I, I'm starting to get a little bit of control over what I do. So we see a lot of the um, lot of the MMA guys are from, mm-hmm. obviously, Brazilian? Brazilian. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. No, Brazilian exactly. Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. So is that the you kind just call of... call it BJJ. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Beijing. No. <laughs> um, so the idea is this for you guys to actually progress to mixed martial arts, possibly, or well, you, you definitely could do. And a lot of people do go from BJJ to um, to the MMA. A lot of TLA's happening here. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not too convinced. Three TLA's. Oh right. Yeah, 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 yeah sure. Yeah. MIA. Yeah, yeah. KIA. Doesn't matter. We're back back to the interview. <laughs> Irrelevant. Because Luke Jordan was talking about before Helio Gracie. Yeah, it, it became popularized through the Gracie family. Okay. They moved to America, and essentially they started uh, one of them, Horian, who also did the choreography for the fighting in Lethal Weapon. Oh, awesome! Yeah. Oh, hello. He, he gets beaten up by Rene Russo in Lethal Weapon. 3. Oh, I recall that scene. Yeah. Yes, oh, yes, yes. In the purple shirt, you know, big grizzle. Yeah, she, oh, she's pregnant at the time, actually, <laughs> yeah, and he's yeah. he's got her in the in a grasp yeah. and he, and Mel Gibson goes you're not going to stamp for that are you honey yeah. and she stamps on his foot and takes him down oh. like that roundhouse kicks with a big pregnant belly wow. it is not real of course that's Orion uh, current head of uh, IBJJF Whoa. which is the International mm-hmm. Jiu Jitsu mm-hmm. Federation right 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 uh, also started with a number of other people UFC uh, and their idea with the original UFCs uh, which were uh, round robin competitions was that they would send you know there was the Gracie Sons Sons of Helio at that point, and they sent their smallest competitor, which was Hoist. 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 Well, you need to know that every son's name starts with an R, and it's pronounced H. Mm. It's quite. So Rod- Roger is yeah. Roger. Uh, Ralph is Alf. Oh. How is crazy? Hoist? Yeah. What's, what, why is that? Enzo? Why does it... Why is it? Uh, it's Brazilian Portuguese. Okay. So why do they speak? <laughs> In those early days when you're first learning, I would feel somewhat inclined to want to just go crazy and punch stuff. <laughs> How do you You'll restrain yourself? You'll just get walloped. Yeah. yeah? yeah. yeah. So, so basically, as a beginner, and I'm in that situation, so I'm going through this right now, mm-hmm. is that um, as a beginner, everybody that you compete or, or fight against in or train, train with is better than you. So you're always going to try and go too hard. And so what you actually do, and that's why a lot of people don't last more than a month or two, and that's the hardest part is going past those sort of first six mm-hmm. weeks or so. Yeah. Because you're just getting smashed the whole time and it brings you down a little bit yeah. morally and whatnot. Because you think, you're like, oh, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, these guys, they've obviously been doing it for ages and they're just mm-hmm. killing me. How am I ever going to learn? Yeah. You go past that six weeks, it just kind of starts to click mm-hmm. a little bit and you start to kind of just do one or two things that are good. Mm-hmm. And you kind of loosen up a little bit. Everyone's always telling me, for example, I just got to relax. Yeah. Yeah. You know, stop being so tight. You're just pissing everybody off. They just <laughs> and that's what happens. I just get killed. They choke me. They'll, they'll just, I'll, I'll think I'm doing something right and they'll just flip around and grab their legs around my neck and just completely... Have you fully destroy. passed out yet? No, not yet. I've come very close once. Okay. That was actually uh, yesterday. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't talking about last Saturday night. No, no, <laughs> well, talking about passing out. Passing out is a time for our favourite segment. Favourite oh, favorite segment. Yeah. The right. favourite segment. Favorite segment. <laughs> Week and greatest sporting vendors. We've we discussed Ronnie O'Sullivan. Yep. In the eighties, snooker was a very, very different sport, and I'm talking very different okay. in terms of the people that used to play and everything else. Mm-hmm. So there was a Canadian guy. He looked a bit like John Daly, actually. Right. Craig Stad actually looked more like Craig Stadler, mm-hmm. the Walrus. He was called Bill Werbenick. Okay. Um, Are you familiar with your eighties snooker lads? Eighties snooker, Canadian eighties right. snooker player. Mm-hmm. And everything mm-hmm. else. Look up the archives. There was an Australian used to kick around the circuit. I can't remember what he was called. Steve. Steve. It was Steve. Embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. 
So, what's he done? What's, what's the person done? Is, this, Bill, is it Thronny or is this we're looking at it? Or no, no, this is Bill Werbeck. Okay. So, he, he basically drank eight pints before he even stepped out with his cue, mm-hmm. then continued drinking through the match. Okay. They reckon Werbenick, who weighed in at 280 pounds, which is about 24, 23, 24 stone, mm-hmm. what's that, 125 kilos? Right, about yeah, that. Big-ish. He was averaging 30 pints of lager a day, and on a, on a, good, and, on a good day, he cracked 50. And that's on a match day as well? That's a match day, yeah. Damn so, uh, And he's a professional sportsman. He was a professional snooker player. And he actually had a doctor's note mm. because he claimed he had the shakes and okay. 10 pints of lager. To, to even steady, things out. Would steady the hand. Brilliant. That's so, good uh, thinking. Yeah. He came out and said, I've had 24 pints of extra strong lager yeah. and eight double vodkas and I'm still not drunk. It's like sort of a, a self-inflicted form of Parkinson's, isn't it? Sort of, oh, it's the reverse. Know, it's the reverse Parkinson's. <laughs> reverse Parkinson's. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, steady right. up his head. Yeah, so, yeah. So in the 80s, darts and snooker used to be big on British TV. Mm-hmm. And obviously the darts players used to be able to smoke and drink while they were playing, and so did the snooker players. Fantastic. And the snooker players used to sit in the corner of the arena with a table, and you could see how many pints they Just had. Just ship away. <laughs> they were all empty. Okay. So, you know, things like they said, uh, they could get through a couple if their opponent had a big break on stugging out the tabs in an ashtray and lighting mm-hmm. another with a gold-plated zippo while looking very bored. And the audience were all smoking too, so a low haze would just build up in the arena. But the World Snooker Tournament was sponsored by Embassy back mm-hmm. then anyway, so they didn't care. Mm-hmm. So they just mm-hmm. wanted the players to smoke more and more. you got to plug your sponsors. Oh, indeed. Yeah. So Big Bill reached number eight in the world rankings and in 1980 caused an uproar of laughter when he reached over the table to play an awkward shot and split the arse of his pants. Oh. Putting his hair ass on show but Big Bill <laughs> oh, he wasn't wearing underwear <laughs> <laughs> oh it might have been the double just all ass in here <laughs> it's far too much effort no but plans today apparently Big yeah. Bill laughed this off turned around and joked off to the tearing sound by asking the crowd who'd farted <laughs> Legend has it, he also literally drank Eddie Sinclair under the table as he sank an absolute awe-inspiring 42 pints during a match. Dear That's enough dear. to finish off a whole family of polar bears, never mind a hard something <laughs> okay. Scotsman. So, obviously, well, cardiovascular fitness is not high on the agenda for no. snooker players, I guess. So, not it's really. sort no. of, it's quite fitting. Did he um did he continue to play the match with his ass out? Or did, oh, did he have to... So. I don't know whether he needed yeah, emergency did... cakes. Well, gosh, um, well, that's not going to be great for the fans. There is a come down to this... Mm. Um, he got kicked out of the game in 1989 because mm. um, he tried to not drink anymore and turned to beta blockers. Beta, beta blockers? What's that? Yeah, they're kind of, they're kind of heart drugs to keep your heart rate low. Oh, so, okay. And he got Sounds like he's got his priorities in the right place. So even though he was um, 125 kilos, he got done for performance-enhancing drugs <laughs> on the beta blockers. But he made a comeback in 1990, and he lost 10-1 in the first round of the World Championships. Um, and that's when he drank that 24 pints okay. just, uh, before he went out. Because in 1990, they brought the rule in you couldn't drink while, while you're mm. playing, so... He just got in there early. He was declared bankrupt a year later and died from heart problems at 56. So there you go. Well, well done. 2003. That definitely qualifies the greatest sporting event this year. He stepped it up just for pure quantity, I think. Yeah, I can't imagine the BJJ world, but that's really going to be a great part of the equation. I can't imagine it's great preparation. It's a pain. Not really. No. It's more the opposite. It's kind yeah. of like you start BJJ and you're like, well, I think I need a health, like get a bit healthier. You know, right, I think right. I need to stop smoking. So, this, see, this is why it's thriving now because now we're also health conscious. Yeah. Whereas back then, no one was. But there, but there are a couple of key figures that actually have some pretty serious histories that okay uh, that kind of qualify that that are practicing BJJ now. Like yeah. 
one of your big idols, Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain, he's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. He's a mad BJJ. Really? He's, he's got a yeah. blue belt and everything. His wife, yeah. she's, she's an MMA fighter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, he, and he's had an entire life of vendors. Well, you can see the effect that it's had because in the early episodes, he's, he walks around with the pop belly. Yeah, yeah. He's very skinny, but yeah, then now it's smoking gone. Smoking like a trimmer. Now he's just trim as can be. And he doesn't smoke anymore. Very he used poor. to smoke three, four packets a day. Very poorly. Go to work and BJJ wasn't even on the mind. <laughs> <laughs> There's another guy, Maynard James Keenan. Oh, really? Tool, the oh. singer from Tool. He is a BJJ aficionado, whatever you want to call it. And there's a, quite a funny story about him um, at a concert where mm. this guy pissed him off, so he um, he got him in a loose triangle hole yeah. or something. Okay. And the whole time he didn't stop singing. Yeah, so he finished <laughs> the set sitting on the guy. That's amazing. That's a, oh, a man. Brilliant. Well, I've uh, gone down the, the baseball road this uh, oh, week. Really? I've come across a lad by the name of Doc Alice, and the title of the article is uh, Doc Alice and the LSD No Hitter. Now, this is back in uh, 1970. He's a, he's a baseball player, renowned for being a bit of a loose cannon. He thought he had a day off from, from playing, <laughs> and he flew, he, he flew into Los Angeles to stay with his mate, and he was at his mate's girlfriend's place, and at, at the airport when he arrived at LAX, he dropped a tab of acid. And so he, he, straight, straight away within, you know, an hour or so, he's in another planet and uh, completely hallucinating, falls asleep at, at his mate's girlfriend's place. Gets woken up a few hours later. He thought it was the next day already. And uh, the girlfriend comes over and goes, Hey, you know what, Doc? What, you better be able to wake up. And he goes, Oh, yeah, yeah why's that? Check out this paper. Starting picture for today's Pirates v. Padres game. It's you, sucker! <laughs> <laughs> and he had got it completely wrong. He didn't have a day off at all. And had to jump on a plane from LAX to fly to San Diego to play this game while still high on LSD. He then went on with a head full of acid. Alice pitched a no-hitter through nine full innings and the Pirates, the June 12th win over the Padres. The Acid King recorded eight walks (laughs) and six strikeouts claiming, I zeroed in on the catcher's glove. But I didn't hit that glove too much because basically he was so all over the place that just the the batters didn't know what was coming. It could go anywhere. Though he was not pitching to who he thought was Jimi Hendrix <laughs> and the home plate umpire was not Richard Nixon, Alice managed to record the greatest feat in baseball, earning himself the number one spot as the most talented drug user in sports history. <laughs> that's a phenomenal performance. That's, that's, a, that's a great nickname as well to carry for the rest of your career. Yeah. The Acid King. The Acid King. I think anything... I love the, the benders where they are successful in the, in the face of it. Yeah. Because I, yeah, I, in, in research, you do find a lot of guys who like die. And it's hard to, it's hard <laughs> yeah, to find comedy around that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's great at Sporting Benders oh. for this week. All right, it's worst song in the world time. Oh, are we up to that already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we played the first song that came to his head. It just so happened to be. It was the worst song in the world. It was the worst song in the world. Listen to the song and it's clear your mind because the words don't fit and the song is shit. You're a talentless kid. You suck. Right, worst song in the suck. world. Worst song in the world. Uh, jingle's growing on me. Well, so worst song in the world is essentially uh, the, the emergence of sports and music. Yeah. Um, artists that have disgraced themselves. Yep. What have you got lined up for us this week, uh, The Beef Man? I found this absolute howler mm-hmm. of a track. Okay. By the Calgary Flames. Should I just get straight into it? Just get straight into it. Right. You just, I just don't think we can last too long, actually. Okay, well, I it's think that. it runs four minutes by the way. Oh, we're not going to listen to all that. As soon as we get to the chorus, I think you'll know, understand how bad it is. There's a bit of a crowd noise build up here. What's going on? The Calgary Flames, is it? Yeah, ice hockey. Ice hockey. 
Is this the same guy that wrote like every June to every 80s action flick? That I ever... think it is. It's very Beverly Hills Cop, isn't it? And very, uh, very Eye of the Tiger, very rocky. There's some great montages over the years, though, from the 80s. Um, Scarface is one of my favourites. Push It to the Limit. Um, South Park bought that one back, didn't they? South Park did. Yeah, they did a version. They really brought that back to the masses. Yeah, okay. Well, well did, do you have a lyric breakdown there for us, Beefy, in um, regard to that? The main that? lyric is because you can't touch a flame when it's red hot. That's it. That, that's it. That's kind of it. Let's see, the thing is, that how's the crowd supposed to sort of sing along to that? It doesn't. Well, really... this is the idea, and you've just heard that kind of that one minute grab of the tune. It's, yeah. Apart from the chorus, it's like that all the way through. Right. It's not exactly awe inspiring. Doesn't do it for you. Doesn't Tim didn't do it for me. Yeah. It's like that. Uh, who is that? Can't touch the flame because it's red, red hot. Red hot indeed. Well, yeah. thank you for that, Beefy. That's uh, uh, that's really worked out well for us. I've got a bit of a special this week. Um, AFL versus NRL grand final performances. And the question I'm poising and uh, as I present this is: Is it better to turn up and perform very poorly, or is it better to turn up and not actually end up performing at all? What's going to work out worse on your career? So I'm going to kick this off first with the NRL uh, Grand Final 2002, uh, Mr. Billy Idol, as he came on. He ends the stadium in a, uh, a hovercraft. <laughs> so big intro. He's on the hovercraft right now, rocking the stadium. Going for it. Here it comes. All right! Yes. You're the band's ready to rock. Are there any Warriors fans here? Warriors. Oh, the Warriors. Those is crap. Can't hear you! Are there any Roosters fans here? Assuming there's not. It's just building up. Yep. And, oh, they'll cut out. What's happened there? Oh. Oh, where's the band gone? Just the drums. Drum. Drum's still going. Billy's on stage. Drummer's just banging away. I love my buddy! <laughs> there he is! <laughs> Drummer's still there. Cram's, Cram's banging away. There he goes. He's killing some time now. What's he gonna come up with next? Just wait for some power! And that's it! Yeah, right. Listen to this, listen to this. Boo! <laughs> Booze. Okay, so Billy Idol not having the best of nights on Grand Final Act. He's having that as <laughs> So that's it! 
Yeah, that's that's as far as it got. Live TV didn't work out. Oh, guy, he was so excited. Well, a huge the hovercraft entrance set yeah, up for a, a, a phenomenal performance, and he really just did not deliver at all. So, of course, the the the, the one I would like to rival this with or challenge it with is uh, a chap by the name of um, Meatloaf. Now, uh, this there's quite a bit of build up this performance from Meatloaf. Uh, a lot of anticipation. There's a full MCG crowd of 100,000 for a great AFL yeah. final day. And uh, he got a great big intro here. His Bat Out of Hell album has sold over 43 million copies and is the number one big intro album in Australia. He's gone on to sell over 100 million records worldwide. Please welcome to the stage legendary Grammy Award winner, Meatloaf. So the band's rocking straight away. Band's sounding great. Yep, that works. Listen to them go, the double kick. Love it. Just builds up and builds up. Yes. So at this point, he's going for it. It's all right. I think we're going the low doing all right. He's a bit older, he's a bit chubby, but he's, he's doing his best. Very rock and roll. Now that doesn't sound quite right. That's the first one you start wondering, is, is this right? I don't think that it is. And you start worrying them. Anyway, this comes in, and it's cranking this point. He's brought it back. The whole band's into it, backing vocalists. He's gonna kick some ass. <laughs> the whole crowd now. So he's brought it back at this point, and we think it's gonna be a good performance from the low. But uh, unfortunately, there wasn't anywhere he could hide when this came in. That's clearly atrocious. Now, um, obviously, uh, that was a bit of a career ender for, for the loaf. He hasn't done much since, has he? He, so, did, um, he did one of the presidents, uh, I think he did something for Obama or one of them or somebody, and he did exactly kind of the same exactly performance. The same and that, was, that was the ender. The thing I do want to say about me, Loaf, is that once upon a time he was actually fantastic. I know my brother and sister, my oldest brother and sister, went to go and see a band in the 90s called Snap. Oops, upside the head, but really, yeah. you know, not something that was going to stand the test of time. Meatloaf opened, and Meatloaf was on fire, and they said he blew the roof off, and he was brilliant, and then Snap came on afterwards and absolutely sucked. And I've checked out some of the old footage of the loaf, and he was fantastic back in the day. Oh, sure. And uh, it's, uh, it's pretty clear that what's happened is uh, he's had a stroke, right? And a common, common side effect of stroke is you lose control of your vocal cords, and you can't sing Stop. anymore. Floppy, floppy cords. Yeah. So here he is, just briefly. Listen to that. This is life. I'd run right into heaven back. Obviously. Oh, I would do anything for 
You can't, you can't say that's not, not happening because that's really good stuff. But it's clear what happened there is they knew he lost his voice and they just thought, right, we've got to make some money out of this while we still can. And they just, they just booked in all over the world. They said, oh, we're getting 250 grand for this grand final. Let's just do it. We'll go and we'll get this awesome band with 85 backing singers and hopefully we'll be able to master the whole show. But uh, unfortunately, just those solo moments of this just came over. And they said, oh, we'll take the money and we'll just make a run for it. Wasn't that the second? That was the year when it was a draw in the first grand final. It was two. No, no, no. Lionel, Lionel Richie did the... Uh, because he was on tour at the time. So they got Lionel Richie in at the last minute. Uh, it was amazing. Yeah, awesome. It was amazing. All night long. Yeah. yeah. That's it on the ceiling, even though it was eight door. Yeah. So to answer the question, <laughs> it's definitely worse to turn up and do very poorly than uh, to not instance. perform at all. Was he ever an influence on your guitar playing, Al? Is, uh, is he ever an influence on your guitar playing in the Fearless Vampire Killers, Billy Idol? Billy? Not at uh, the top of the list? Not at the top of the list, can't say so. <laughs> uh, yeah, Billy uh, he's one of those people who had a, a tremendous impact for producing very little. <laughs> <laughs> Another one, probably, I guess, before you're born. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I was only four. We had a bit of revival with um, when he was on The Wedding Singer. So the kids who were yes. born in the, in the early 80s sort of... That's really how I found Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, case in point. Well, talking about case in point, mm-hmm. it's nearly time for... Facts of Life. See? Oh, right our segues are getting better and better. Mm-hmm. We don't even kind of realise they're happening. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the facts, facts of life. life. The facts, facts of life. life. There's a time you gotta go and show you grow, and now you know about the facts of life. The facts of life. When the world. So, lads, what we've got here is uh, Beefy tells us interesting sporting facts. <laughs> and uh, you make sense. Mm. So exciting. Mm. Well, Rob, what's the date today? It is the 16th of March. It's the day before St. Patrick's Day. This is today mm-hmm. over in Yorkshire. It is the 498th consecutive running of the Kipling Coates Derby. So we, we went to that, didn't we? we that did. was that point-to-point the point race, to point race. horse race. Yeah, that's so right. What, okay, you want to explain to the lads? Okay, point-to-point horse racing is where you basically have you've run from one point to another. So whatever's in the way or whatever pass you take. So it's like a horse race over jumps and tracks and through farms and whatever. So it's the quickest one from the point mm. to the point. It was point. in northern England near... Yeah, in Yorkshire, near Yorkshire, uh, yeah. Harrogate, whatever it was. Mm. Market Wayton is the actual mm. village. Mm. So this race has run every year since 1519, basically coming up for its 500th year mm-hmm. uh, consecutive. Now, they also say if the race stops for any reason, if they don't hold it, that's the end. They were, they're not allowed to do it anymore. So when they had foot and mouth with the sheep and everything, there was no movement of animals. Mm-hmm. They actually had to get special permission from the Department of uh, Forestry mm-hmm. to actually run the race. So they actually walked a horse along the course to make sure that the race got run. Um, when they had a snow blizzard and they had eight foot of snow, they actually walked another horse to make sure that make race sure that, yeah, yeah. took place. So it's one family in it. We met the family, the guest family, I think they were called. I think they so. They keep this race going. And it was, you know, there's a bookie. On the end, it raised the money, and essentially, you know, it's what three hundred years older than Australia. Years old. I like the fact there's gambling involved. Has it adapted, or is it a medieval gear like the? No, no, no. They just look like horse riders, really. You know, they're quite big horses. Yeah, they are. Because the the race itself is nine miles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. it's not. It's not like just through the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many different routes are there? 
Sorry. Well, I think the way this is set out, I think there's really the only the one now. Yeah. I think originally when point-to-point racing, it was the quickest. Yeah. So if you could jump over sure. fences yeah, and, wits about and it. go through creeks and stuff, you could do that. But nowadays, I think it's a bit more safe. A bit more safe. Yeah. So yeah. that's it. Kipling Coast Derby. It's oh, always wow. the day before the Cheltenham Gold Cup. I, I do just like the fact that there's a bookie there and there's gambling yeah. involved. Are you, are you a big gambler, Al? You've been... Uh, not at all. Not at all? More luck. I love gambling. Yeah. Especially... The only time when I do it, which is with you. Yeah, 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 oh. of course. <laughs> and you do all the wrong. Yes, yes. Don't listen to Rob. <laughs> uh, mate, the, how about the AFL? Oh, yeah, the doggies, Western Bulldogs versus. Who, yeah, and, who, I won 30 bucks, you won like I won 250. You, you won 60, but won you put 60 40 bucks. down, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it wasn't a huge profit. I think I probably kept the winning. Hey, but we won. We did. You did win. That's the, the end game, isn't it? Yeah, it was the great uh, Jordan Grugio chime on the end of the season. Go dogs. Yeah, yeah, I've been a doggy supporter for two years. Oh, nice. Some might say I'm on bandwagon. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, Al's right into his uh, motor racing. So no, he was. Really? He, he saw Absolutely. our Ricardo interview and was, yeah. uh, was very, very impressed. Very we, uh, you'll need to quiz him sometime on uh, on on his, his oh, depth of knowledge. Were you upset yeah. when um, John Surtees died last week? I was a bit, because he was not the most recognised champion. No, because he was also a six-time motorbike champion. Yeah, kind of. Four-time in the top class, but back in those days, you you could ride 350s as well as 500. So, in effect, he was seven-time world bikes champion, and then he moved to Formula 1, and then he won the world. Well, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, Formula 1. Championship as well. He's the only one that's that won both. Won both, yeah. Because there was Mike Hawthorne, but he won the Motorbike World Championship. He never won. Yeah, Formula One. There's a bit of sports chat there. He knows that. Yeah, Proper he knows sports chat yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now, uh, so where are we at in the jiu-jitsu? Uh, so you're, you've competed, haven't you, Al? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. How did you find the competition? Oh, the competition's great because, it, you know, in the gym, you're always, you, know, you never go 100% because mm-hmm. basically the next day you have to go with that person again you know right. holding a grudge yeah yeah and then in competitions you can go that extra 10% mm-hmm. you know um, more than anything I've never got to compete at the top level but it's good to know mm-hmm. that's never so you're never. very close to blue belt <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah and that will be another however many years yeah. oh can you not compete at white belt oh no you can oh, it's okay. just you know I will be when I go out to blue belt I'll be at the bottom Ah, well, you're saying at the white belt level, that's most common to see people passing out and not getting knocked out. <laughs> yeah. is, is that because no one really knows what they're doing properly? Yeah, I guess or? so. I went to Maybe they don't know how to tap out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like in the gym, I've only ever seen one person actually pass out, despite how many people would if they didn't tap. You expect to see it. But I went to a specialized white belt competition a few months ago, and yeah. Mm. Left and right, people were going down. It was oh, amazing. really? Yeah, I've never <laughs> seen it before. What was the level we saw in San Jose? Oh, that, was was... that was a world ranking tournament. That was a world ranking yeah. tournament, yeah. You there was been, people who had come from Brazil. Year, to... wasn't it? Uh, no, it was January. It was oh, just before the Super Bowl. Super Bowl, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, uh, but people had come from Brazil to oh, yeah, compete. No, as I, I think the guy, the, the guy that won, he was from the kind of the San Diego Mexico border, right? And he he was using that tournament as a warm up for the Pan Pacifics or Pan Americans. Yeah, the the tournament is starting tomorrow. Ah, there you go. So my, was, uh, my my coach actually is there. He's competing on mm. Saturday. Oh, we we couldn't yeah. work out how this guy won because well, all of a sudden, explain explain this he technique got, where he he's sitting dis- on the floor. Yeah, but he. The other guy got disqualified for actually being too aggressive or mm. along those lines. Now, like I said, we didn't really understand what was going on. Yeah, there's certain things that you can't do. Like like so we'd have to check the video. Why those fingers in the wrong spot or something? Just very, very rare. What do you mean finger in the wrong spot? You can't put your fingers in can't do a hop-a-wide sleeves or mm. inside the pant leg. Right. It's just, it's illegal. Unfortunately, I also went straight for hop Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah uh, I think you could auto-check for a while. 
which is a term for a man. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Dipstick. Yeah, absolutely. That's disgraceful. Um, is that a is that a certified move? <laughs> I'm, not I'm pretty sure in, in wrestling it's still absolutely. Oh, in WWE. Oh, anything that's in WWE. I might have argued by accident. There's not very many penalties or disqualification in the high level training competitions because the guys are so technical fishers. It's amazing to watch, but the hard thing is actually knowing what they're doing. Yeah. So when I was like, you start watching this and you get interested in like YouTube this, YouTube that, and you're like, I have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. But once you kind of start learning moves and techniques and you start watching what these guys are doing and you figure it out, it's, it's pretty impressive because mm-hmm. yeah. it's hard, really hard to actually pull off a move. And there's a lot of resistance from the other guy. Yeah. It's usually like 80 to 100 kilograms of weight just put on you. Uh, and Jordan, you're planning to uh, compete in time, I understand. Oh, I'm definitely hoping to compete. This mm-hmm. is a, I've only been doing it for three months, so I'm kind of just starting to learn the ropes. And mm-hmm. I'm still getting my ass kicked, but it's it's quite quite fun now because I'm getting my ass kicked less. Right. <laughs> and I'm doing some kind of interesting stuff. So at this point, Al will destroy you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not only would he destroy me, I'd like, probably have my legs up. I'd probably pass Just have a belt right now. With <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Always, always good for radio. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you guys worried about, obviously, you've got music careers, sports careers, and we've all got jobs as well. Some of us have. Are you worried about injury may get in the way of music? Uh, a little bit. No, more just, you know, general mobility. I'm yet to figure out how, like, an injury can really affect what can actually happen in BJJ when, right. you're, when you're training, because you're not going 100%. Yeah. And you can tap out as soon as you feel any inkling. Mm-hmm. Something's going My on. My arm's going to break. Everyone just yeah. stops. Yeah, fair And you just it's, get on with it. I, I mean, there's certain techniques, like in competition as a white belt, I, I don't think until you're a brown belt, there's a lot of techniques you can't do. Um, mm-hmm. And they're all generally around leg joints. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, and, and as a white belt, you can freely do those same things to the arms. And that's mm-hmm. it's not a problem. It's just if you lose your legs, mm-hmm. or you're, you know, it, it affects everything you do. Mm-hmm. Whereas you can walk around and sling for six weeks. My, my biggest issue is I've, I, I've injured myself twice from doing the most basic thing. <laughs> the first thing that you learn in jiu-jitsu is uh, training, which is a forward roll. Oh, man. <laughs> I, got a, I, got a, I got a, it started out, I got a knee into my back, and it kind of hurt. And I was like, oh, I've got to do a forward roll. Oh, hang on, right. you need your own back. No, 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 I got a, someone need me in my oh. back whilst I was rolling it. Oh, I see. Right, right, right. So the next I thought you were just like doing a full roll by yourself. No, no, no. So okay. next, well, this is the thing. The next yeah. training session, I'm like, oh, my back's pretty sore. Yeah. And the very first thing you do, you do a couple of rolls forward. And, mm-hmm. and I um, went to go do my forward roll, which I know how to do, but I went to go and do it and went, oh, my back. Mm-hmm. Better watch out. And I instead of rolling, I just fell straight onto my shoulder. Oh. Onto my right shoulder. And it came. Like, in three weeks, I was I just barely, couldn't barely, couldn't really lift right, it. Right, right, right. And then um, a week later, I'm like, no, I'll persevere through, I'll persevere through. I went to go yep. do a roll other side yeah and I was like shit I'm freaked out again <laughs> it fell onto my other shoulder and so both shoulders were out see I was just shaking his head at this amateur amateur it's amateur, like it's amateur the ultimate rookie yeah. <laughs> to the point where I had to speak to my coach and just say I can't continue can you, you teach me can you coach me how to do a forward roll <laughs> yes there's the under six gym class <laughs> yeah. over there oh your yeah, forward roll this little kid here, no, he's, he's a yellow um, belt when you, go and, when you go and play bubble soccer, yeah. they actually get you to do forward rolls, so you learn how to fall over. Important skill in all areas of life, the oh, forward roll. Yeah. I'll tell you what. And then they try and get you to do backward rolls. Now, you mm. try doing a backward roll. In the bubble? In the bubble. <laughs> you get, you basically, I think they're just taking a piss out of your face, because yeah. nobody can do it. So you, you run backwards, and you throw yourself backwards, and you end up islanded with your legs up in the air. <laughs> ah. So you, you don't get enough momentum going backwards right. to flip it over. I think but surely just... the beef band, you'd have a bit of momentum, wouldn't you? Take... I found yeah. it the fact that uh, I could mm. keep on my feet no matter how much punishment I was copying. Jiu-jitsu, I imagine, would be extremely good for balance. 
Uh, well, you are lying on the ground most of the time. You struggle to fall off. No, but no, different no, forms of it. Like def- yeah, yeah. Definitely for your like, center of gravity or whatever. <laughs> Proprioception, you know, yeah, just understanding where your body is relative to someone else's body. Now, you're saying before that I see, I watch MMA, UFC, whatever it is, and I just can't watch it because to me it's that brutal. But oh, you can see geez. little techniques and things now on it that uh, I I was just give it a little more science for you. Yeah, well, that. I was saying off air that I absolutely hated the UFC until mm-hmm. about two months ago. I just thought it was just dudes just smashing each other's faces. I still think that the UFC history is was created by the guys who created Brazilian Jiu Jitsu as a right. form of trying to find out what the best um, martial art is. Right. Yeah, it's sort of an extension of the, the Gracie Challenge. Yeah. Which was, uh, Helio had an, an open invitation, uh, which he'd actually advertised in newspapers all over the world saying, if you think you can fight, come to my gym. And, uh, you know, the story is that 300 and something fights and he never once got punched, mm. which is not entirely true. Right. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a few cases that they don't talk about. But you can certainly go on YouTube uh, and look up Gracie Challenge and you'll mm-hmm. see all these people come yeah. in. Multiple yeah. times, many punches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has yeah. a street lethal style that yeah. you know, gets destroyed. Right. Yeah. It's just a, it's a different mentality. What happens if you try to throw a punch in jujitsu? <laughs> you will get in trouble. You get in trouble. <laughs> okay. You just you basically they'll just stop. It. It's it's the ultimate dirty tactic. Oh yeah. Okay. But it'll be a good analogy to say gentleman sport. You know, yeah. MMA is uh, BJJ. Yeah, yeah. Strike. Well, yeah. the, the, the MMA in its initial form, sorry, um, UFC MMA used to used to be really good in the early stages because it was um, you had to kind of stick to your mm. style and two different styles no fight together. There wasn't really MMA; it was more just kind of like this sumo guy is going to fight this BJJ guy, mm-hmm. whatever. And the BJJ guy always won. And then they kind of realised that it's not making enough money. It's kind of making a bit more show, and it just became this kind of all no yeah. kind of thing. Because I'll, I'll freely admit, it's, it's not the best spectator sport. Mm-hmm. No, like, and I'm sure you guys found that. And it does seem like two guys just hugging a lot. You know, and two, yeah. two guys I'd seen fight. quite a bit of sport at that point, so I was struggling regardless, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wouldn't have mattered what it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Saturday night, a drunken munter at the pub. He runs at you. He's getting, he's getting ready to take you down. Yeah. What's your move? Uh, you would try and duck the punch, which is pretty easy. And then you, okay. and then you okay. sit on the floor and wait for someone to come <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> best move. <laughs> well, you're right. That those sort of discussions are the Saturday Night Drunk discussions. Yeah. That's what we're here for. I'll tell you what I would do, and this is the uh, the thing that I'm learning at the moment, is I just, I, it's called pulling him into your gut. Mm-hmm. So I would basically just get on my back. I'd fall, grab his collar and his arm, and just pull him with me, wrap my legs around his waist, which would be easy if the guy was drunk, he didn't know what he was doing, and I sure. just two nuts into it, I'd probably be able to do something. But yeah, as an experienced guy, I would just get him in a choke and just like, pass out six seconds. Bar fight, you know, you do have, it's going to be six seconds regardless, because yeah. everyone else yeah. is going to jump in. Yeah, so totally. that's actually a really fair okay. strategy is to just hold him close. I think it's the adrenaline dump yeah. that you would deal really well with. Yeah. Uh, being a BJJ competitor yeah. in the real world fighting situation you're used to dealing with that mm-hmm. confrontation which you just don't get day to day and if the guy did throw a punch at you you'd kind of know sort of it's good to a little bit of safety if you're not, not, if, you're not if you're not an experienced thug yeah. you know yeah, if you've yeah. got some sort of fallback basically if the guy just completely stuffs up his moves and you're like pretty sober enough to deal with it you can kick his ass okay <laughs> yeah and you know like you think like how you would fight a bar fight as a, as a layman is you just throw your fists at them mm-hmm. and then BJJ all deals with that distance yeah. and, so, and, you, and that's the thing you wouldn't hurt the guy either which mm-hmm. would be awesome you just yeah. mobilise him until somebody 
Maybe. So when's next training? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Every day, man. Every day. <laughs> Every day. Every day. Oh, I, I take Sunday off. I have to wish my coach the best of luck because he's, tra- he's competing tomorrow. Okay. Gosh. And on Saturday. Sunday, and his name is? His name is Alexander Santos mm-hmm. from the Seapore Lister in North Melbourne. And he's third degree player. Is it, a, is it a, the Arnold Classic? No, no, no. This oh, is in America. Is, he's at oh, the Pan's in, oh, in California. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So I wish him all the best. We do. We had uh, Francis Harrison on last week. His under-14 team, Geelong Supercats, 42. Mm-hmm. Altona, 43. Ah. Oh, oh, lost five oh. points. So uh, the 365 Days of Sport, Geelong Supercats, mm. under-14s. Uh, yeah. Well, is he not good at attractive enough girl to motivate the team well, or something? It's, what's, uh, what's going well, on? Well, what I'm going to work out is if they keep losing, then we bring in the motivator. Ah, so right. It, there's no point in motivating if well, they keep winning. It's just like Pointless. sort of dangling a stake in front of a pit bull terrier kind no, of thing. Like, exactly. how does that... Well, that's what you want, isn't it? You need to turn the fortunes You need to give them a bit of a taste. But if the fortunes aren't, you know, need to be turned around, so we'll just wait to keep losing and we'll bring out the big guns. Okay. Well, we'll yeah. keep an eye on them. We'll keep, we'll keep posted on, uh, on how they we progress will. We'll is. keep you posted week by week. And... Alan Jordan, thank you very much for your time. Thank Pleasure you. to see Beautiful. you. You know, we'll Absolutely see you again right. very soon. And uh, put in good luck with jiu-jitsu. And uh, that's the reason Swire Days of Sport. It is busy, I 65 days